So this morning we are uh, continuing a series we kicked off last week called Dinner with Jesus. And over the next few weeks uh, before uh, Ash Wednesday and Lenten uh, season begins, we'll be looking at some of the dinner scenes that Jesus has with some of his followers and also some of the other people of his day. Because this was something that Jesus did often, was to have meals with people. Uh, He would either be invited over or kind of invite himself over to meals and sit down with people. And as amazing as that sounds, which if you think about it, like, hey, you get to have dinner with Jesus. Like, who would you, like, rather have dinner with? I know that's kind of like an icebreaker question. It's like, hey, if you could have dinner with any person ever, many people are like, well, I'd love to have dinner with Jesus. Be careful what you wish for, all right? Because if you listen closely, Jesus sometimes, when he is a guest, when he is invited over for dinner, he has some words that the hosts sometimes do not like. And that's what we have this evening, uh, is this interaction between Jesus and a few other people around him at this particular meal. And really, it's a shocking scene. It's a, an unforgettable scene. It's one of those scenes in the Bible that that the people, uh, whenever they hear it, they're like, did this really happen? Because it sounds so unbelievable what takes place. And that's kind of the point of why, why Luke, who is writing this gospel account, why he includes it. He wants us, as we read it, as we tell one another about it, as we recount the story, it to be one of those moments that, that maybe you've had these moments in your life when you see something or you hear of something and you never forget it. It sears into your memory, it sears into your heart, and you look back and you're like, man, I can never forget that. That is the power of this scene that takes place. And really what, what Jesus wants to do by giving us this unforgettable scene over this, this dinner meal is to show us what the Christian life looks like. And really the invitation to us, to anyone who would be a follower of Jesus, of, of this is what it means to enter into the rhythm of the Christian life. So let's dive in and, and see what happens at this particular meal with Jesus. If you want to go to the next slide for me. Luke 7, beginning of 36, we hear these words. It says that one of the Pharisees, uh, who we come later in the story to find, his name is Simon. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus then went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she went and brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. See, sometimes I think we read the Bible and we kind of are like, Oh yeah, those are just words on a page, but I want you to imagine as you hear these words, as you think about it, put yourself like at that dinner table. That is a shocking scene at this meal, right? You have this 
this Pharisee named Simon, who by and large probably a respected guy in that community, he is intrigued enough by Jesus that he invites Jesus over for dinner. And the custom of that day, you only invited people over for dinner, the people that you saw as being of like a high enough status, and you wanted to learn from them. And so Simon is, is kind of intrigued at some level by what Jesus either has said or what he has done, and he wants to learn more. And so he's like, great, Jesus, come over for dinner. I'll have a bunch of my other Pharisee friends as well, and we want to learn more from you. We want to learn about who you are and hear about what you're teaching so we can kind of see if you are really this important person. So Simon is at least has an open posture at some level to Jesus. But as they're eating dinner, which, again, as you're kind of thinking back uh, to the first century customs, they didn't sit in chairs like most of us do when we eat dinner. They would be kind of on the floor with mats kind of around the table, kind of on their side, and their, their legs pushed out to the, their right side to the back. And so that's kind of how they were seated. They were kind of on a mat, kind of leaning on their left arm and, and eating with their right, and their, their legs are back to their right. And so your, uh, your feet are kind of exposed in the back. And, and they didn't eat in kind of closed-off rooms. Most of the time, what they would do is they would eat in kind of courtyard-type areas. And so if any passerby was walking around down the street, you could look inside the window, you could look inside and be like, oh, like there they are eating dinner together. And you actually could walk in. There weren't like doors like preventing people from walking in. But that was something you just didn't do, was like intrude on somebody else's dinner, right? Except that's not what happens, is it? This woman, who Luke says is a woman of the city, adults, you could fill in the gap and figure out what that means, but by and large, she is a sinner, and she simply walks to the dinner table behind Jesus and begins to weep, and she is weeping so profusely that she has enough tears that she's able to wash Jesus' feet. She's able to kind of cover Jesus' feet with them, and she, she uses her hair to, to kind of dry them off maybe, but then she also has this, this expensive flask of of ointment, of perfume, and she pours it even on Jesus' feet. This is an astonishing scene. Like if someone did this at a dinner party you hosted, I think you're going to have a story to tell for the rest of your life, right? But also, you're going to be at least slightly annoyed. You're going to be like, this is not what I had planned. This is not how I envisioned this meal with this person I invited over going. We have this intruder, which in and of itself, like, we're calling the cops, right? Someone just shows up. We're like, we got to get this person removed. But this is what this woman does, and Jesus is seemingly okay with it. That is maybe the most shocking thing of all, right? Jesus is all good with the, what this woman is doing. And he's okay with it because here's what Jesus wants us to realize, is that Jesus wants you and I and all people, all of his followers, to be like this woman. You may think that seems strange, that seems odd, but I would say this, that Jesus wants you, and me, and all of his followers to be like this unnamed woman that our life as Christians would look like this. 
One way to put it is this, that our life as Christians, and really what the call of Jesus is for all of His followers is this, that Christians are called to live a life of love. You can kind of summarize it and think of it that simply, that you as a follower of Jesus are called to live a life of love. And this woman, Jesus is holding her up and saying, if you want to know what a life of love looks like, look at her. Like this story, think about it, has been recounted for thousands of years. Billions of people have been given this woman's example, have been given her testimony, and it's been held up for for all people to say, I want to be more like her. I want my life to look more like this. Now, I want to kind of unpack that briefly of just let you know, like, Jesus isn't necessarily saying, okay, go find people you know who are having dinner, walk in their house, cry upon their feet, and, you know, he's not saying literally do what this woman does, but you can see the principles of a life of love at work. And really what you see is what true love looks like. It looks like this. True love initiates. Like, that's what love does. When love is real and is true, it takes the first step. Like, that's what you do for someone you love. And that's what this woman does for Jesus, is she's like, I heard Jesus is having dinner, and I want to be near him, and I'm not going to let anything come in the way. I don't care what social norm I'm breaking. I want to be next to Jesus because I need to be near him. And she initiated it. She crossed every boundary, even though it was weird, and people would look at her and be like, you are crazy. But she initiated it. She sought it out, and that's what love does. Love does not sit on the sidelines and wait for someone to make the first move. But no, when you love someone, what do you do? You initiate it. You seek them out. Love is also costly. You see that in in what she does with the perfume, with the ointment. You see, what she does is she takes this ointment, this bottle of this alabaster flask. We don't know exactly what perfume it was, but what we do know is that it probably wasn't cheap. And she took this, which she would have used for her own work to make her smell nice, to make her advance and be, be appealing to people. And what she does is she takes it, and she doesn't use it for herself, but she, she pays the cost, so to speak, and she uses it on who? On Jesus But even more than that, you need to remember, in first century, they did not have this thing called closable and openable lids. They didn't have that back then. So you know what they did whenever they needed to use perfume, whenever they needed to use something that was in a bottle? You know what you had to do? You had to break it open. And it all was open. There was no saving it. You used it all. And so this woman uses this costly perfume, not upon herself, but upon Jesus as the sign of love, as the sign of devotion, this costly love. Because that's what you do when you love someone, right? You pay the cost. When you give a gift to someone and it's a good gift, you know what you do? You, you maybe pay for something, but more than that, you, you put time and energy and thought, and those are the gifts you remember. Those are the things that, that when you see someone do that, do something costly for you, you know what you realize? You're like, man, that person cares for me. That person loves me, because that's what love is. Love is costly. But also, love is bold. Like, is there anything more bold than what this woman does? She goes 
uninvited to this party where Jesus is because she is like, I'm not letting anything get in the way, and I'm doing this shocking thing of weeping upon this man and using my hair to dry his feet and to pour this ointment on him so that he can be nourished and so that he can be blessed. But I want you to realize this, that her having her hair down and washing the feet of Jesus was a bold thing for her to do. Do you know how women were supposed to wear their hair in first century Israel? Covered and up. She is breaking both of those things. Not only is her hair uncovered, but it is down, which was reserved for the most intimate of settings. And this woman says, I don't care that people are going to look at me like I've lost my mind I care about Jesus this much, that my love for him will be bold, will be startling, will be eye-catching. That is love. And friends, Jesus has this story for us so that you and I and all of his fathers would say, this is the love he calls us to. We are called to lives of love. Jesus put it this way in a number of other places. But one place, it goes like this. Here's the greatest commandment. You want to know what God cares about the most for you to do and I to do? You shall what? Love the Lord your God with how much of your heart? All your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, all of it. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now realize that when Jesus says that love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself, he is not saying, I want you to feel a certain way about God or I want you to feel a certain way about your neighbor. Feelings, believe it or not, are secondary when it comes to love. We have kind of reversed that in our modern day and we think of love primarily and chiefly as a feeling, and it involves our feelings, but you know what love is? Love is acting in spite of how you feel. Love is treating someone even when you're really annoyed at them. And if you've been married at all, you know what that's like. When you make those wedding vows, you make that promise to love them in the good times and the bad times when you feel like loving them and when you don't feel like loving them. That's love. And Jesus wants us to realize that this is what he's called us to, is that it's primarily about our actions. That to love God is to, to love him in the way that this woman has loved him. To love others is to love them in the way that this woman loves, that you and I are called to live this way. So let's ask the question. Look at your life and ask yourself this. How are you doing at that? Is your life marked by this type of love? Do you love God in this way, in the way this woman has loved God? Do you love your neighbor, which is the people around you, the people closest to you, the people you work with, the people on your neighborhood block, the people that, that you kind of only partially know, they're your neighbors. Do you love them in this way too? 
I think it can be a challenging question for us because you know what we realize? We realize this, that even when we know, like, man, that's what I should do. God calls me to do that. But I look at the reality of my life and how I do that, I struggle to love in that way. This could be a really easy sermon, and we could end it right here. And we could say, here's what Jesus wants you to do. Jesus wants you to go and love like that. And we could end the sermon here, and Jesus could stop right there. We got a few more hours before the Lions game, friends. So we're not stopping here. (laughs) But we could just stop there. But here's the thing. It doesn't address the deeper issue. Because we know, like, Jesus is very clear. Love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Like, I don't think me sharing this verse with you is anything new. That this is what God calls us to, is this life of love, and love in these bold ways, and love in these these extravagant ways that people look at you and they're like, you're crazy that you love other people like that, that you love God like that. I don't think that's a shock to any of us. We know that's what we should do. The struggle is, man, I feel like I can't do it at all, or, or I struggle to do that. And if that's you, you're not alone. And that's why Jesus continues at this dinner meal. Because you know who else struggled to do that? To love in this way, to love God that way, and to love other people that way? You know who else struggled with that? The dinner host. Simon struggled to love in that way. Because as you continue on and and hear this story, what you find is this woman intrudes on the dinner, and Simon has a reaction. He doesn't say anything out loud. He just thinks it. You guys do that all the time. We do that all the time where something happens and you're like, I'm not going to say anything right now, but I'm thinking it. I'm thinking about how crazy this is, how insane this is, how, how rude this person is. I'm thinking about how, how awful of a thing this person is doing. You think it. You don't ever say it out loud. And, and that's what he does. He kind of has an inner monologue and he begins to then question Jesus and question this woman. He says, If Jesus really was a prophet, a man of God, a person I should listen to, he wouldn't let this woman do what she's doing. He wouldn't let this sinner come and get so close to him. You see, this is the inner monologue he thinks as he is looking at Jesus and realizing, maybe I shouldn't care all that much for Jesus, and he's looking at this woman and barely even considering her a human. He's looking down upon her. And this is his inner monologue, and he thinks he's the only one who knows that he's thinking it. But joke's on him, he's at dinner with Jesus. This is why it's a risky move to have dinner with Jesus, because he knows what you're thinking. He knows the thoughts of your mind, the feelings of your heart, the motivation you have. And Jesus then looks at him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he says this parable. He says, Simon, imagine there's a a moneylender And to one guy, he gives 500 grand, and another, he gives five grand. Now, those are both pretty good amounts of money, right? One's clearly more, right? We all know basic math, basic numbers. And Jesus says, neither of them can pay the guy back. Neither of them can pay him back. But the money lender comes to both of them and says, all of your debt is forgiven. You don't need to pay me back at all. All of it is forgiven. And then Jesus asked Simon this question. 
who do you think would love the moneylender more? Which, who would the moneylender, who would, would, like, which of the two men, the 500,000, the 5,000, if they were forgiven, who would love him more? Who would be more grateful? Who would be more appreciative? Who would it be? Shout it out. 500,000. We all get it. It's a super simple principle that Jesus is saying, the guy who's been forgiven more will be more grateful. And that's really what he says to him at the end of the story. He says, therefore, he now directs it to the dinner and says, therefore, I tell you that this woman, her sins, which are many, she recognizes she's the one with the half a million dollar debt who she can't pay. She realizes that she has been forgiven. So, you know what she does? She loved much. But, but those who are forgiven little... In other words, Jesus is now looking Simon directly in the eye and says, if you think you've only been forgiven a little bit, you know how much you're going to love? A little. See, the principle Jesus is saying is this, this is why we struggle to love as we should. We don't realize how much we've been forgiven. That's really the principle Jesus says to this woman and to Simon and to you and me. When you realize how much you have been forgiven, it leads you to love. That is the principle he is leading us to, and Jesus deeply cares about this. So, if you were to think for a second, how much has God forgiven you? Would you put yourself in the a lot camp or in the little camp. Now, I think many of us would say like, oh yeah, no, God's forgiven me a lot. But I would, I would push back on you and on myself that, that if we want to look to what we truly believe, let's look at our love. Do we love a little or love a lot? I think for many of us, we say, man, I, I love a little. And maybe we got to go to the root and say, do I really think I have been forgiven as much as Jesus says? Do I need it as much as Jesus says? That is what Jesus is putting in front of us. And when we get to that reality, when we let that sink in, that I am so deeply indebted to God, that I need His forgiveness more than I can fathom, and as I come to grips with that, It leads me to love him and love others in the way I should. But I need to come to that realization first. Because it changes how I view other people, and it changes how I view God, and it does does that in your life. See, it does that for Simon and this woman. See, Jesus, one of the things he says to Simon is he kind of lays out to him, listen, Simon, I came here, and you didn't greet me with a kiss. And yet, what has this woman been doing? She has been kissing my feet nonstop. Not just my cheek, but my feet, which I don't know how many of you, like, our feet are not great, right? Take that in first century Israel without modern hygiene. Yeah, not good. And yet, what is she doing? She is she's showing this level of love and devotion to him. He says this, I came in and you did not even offer me water to wash my feet, yet she has been using her own tears to wash my feet. 
You, you came in, I came in and you did not anoint my head with oil, which was a very common practice for the guest of honor. But what has she done? She is taking something of far more worth and she has anointed me with this perfume. He's showing it to Simon and making him realize, Simon, you don't think you need to be forgiven all that much. And so you don't love much. But this woman who you consider a sinner, who you look down upon, she realizes how much she needs to be forgiven. And when she realizes that, you know what she does? She loves much because she realizes that that's what I've done for her. See, friends, Jesus wants you, me, to move away from being like Simon, which we do so often, and to be like this woman. But you know how he moves you from being like Simon to being like this woman? Is he shows you how much in need you are how much in debt you are to him. He opens you up and shows you the sinfulness of your heart, and he brings you to that realization. And then when you are in that spot where you realize, I, I am broken, I am a sinner, I am unworthy, you know what he says to you? He says what he says to this woman. What does he say to her? He says, your sins are forgiven. And he says the same thing to you. He comes to you and and you being broken and being weighed down by your sin. He says to you, I have forgiven all of it. And until you realize the depth of your sin, you don't realize how much he's loved you. Because that's what Jesus has come to show you, that he does love you. Everything Jesus calls you to do to have a love that initiates Jesus did first. He came into this world. He sought you and I out when we were far from God. He initiated. Jesus came and he paid the cost. He he suffered on the cross and he took our sins upon him even though he did not deserve it at all. He has paid the cost for you to show you how much he loves you. And he's done it in this bold way. He's come to, to take your penalty and to die a brutal death to show you the depth of his love for you. And when you come to that realization and you see, man, that is how much I have been loved and I have been forgiven, you know what that begins to lead you to do? It begins you to love. It begins to lead you to love God, to love others, because it changes everything in your life. Uh, there's a There's a Christian modern song that came out a few years ago that I think helps us understand the beauty of this. Uh, It goes like this. Here are the lyrics. You want to go to the next slide for me? It says this. There we go. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Which is, think about it, how many wrongs have you done? You, 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 You probably lose track of how many you do, but you remember the bad ones. But what love could remember all the wrongs, could remember no more of those? Omniscient, unknowing, God counts not their sum. God does not hold your sin against you. And then it says this, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. When you come to realize the depth of your sin, Yes, you see how broken you are, but you know what you see at the same time? That his grace goes deeper still. That his mercy for you goes deeper still. And that is what leads you to love. When you see how much you've been forgiven, 
that leads you to to treat others the way that you need to, the way God calls you to, and the way that He calls you to love Him with all of yourself when you see how much He has first loved you. It leads you into a life of love. So here's my invitation for you this week. Really, for the rest of your life, but I want you to focus on this week. I want you to focus on at least one person. If you want to do more and be an overachiever, go ahead. Focus on one person to love the way God calls you to love. I want you to focus on one person who you know, and and I'm not even saying pick someone that you are annoyed with. You could even pick someone you really like. Love them the way God tells you to love them, which is this initiative love, this costly love, this bold love, and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to do that the way God calls me to and, and love Him the way He calls me to. Do it this week. Set your, your whole self on doing it, and I know what's going to happen. I can predict the future. I don't know if you guys knew I had that power. Here's what's going to happen. That person will be blessed. They will be. And you know what? You will be blessed Jesus promises that as we seek to love like this, we are blessed, they are blessed, people are blessed. That will happen. But you know what else will happen? You will be broken because you will come face to face with this reality of how often you don't love like that. It's just going to happen. You're going to try and you're going to set your mind on it, but you're going to come face to face at one point or another with, man, I fail at this so often. And when you're at that point, I want you to remember the words that Jesus said to this sinful woman, and he says to you, your sins are forgiven. Your lack of love is forgiven. Your inability to love the people around you is forgiven. Your lack of devotion to God is forgiven and receive that love that Jesus has for you. That's what Jesus wants you to see in this scene, this unforgettable moment that stays with you for the rest of your life, this picture of what a life of love looks like. Jesus wants you to remember it, to seek to live it, but to always remember this, that he has done that for you first and always. Amen.